Chestnut Hill Technologies is a leading technology integration and cybersecurity consulting firm based in the Boston area and owned by BC alum. CHT provides world-class strategy and consulting to Fortune 500 and mid-cap firms throughout New England and nationally, including State Street Bank, Amaj Pharma, and Intel Corporation. Check them out at chestnuthilltechnologies.com. That's chestnuthilltechnologies.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to A Minutes with Mute. I'm your host, Mike Galtieri, joined, as always, by Scott Mutrim. You know him, BC sideline reporter, Learfield, IMG Radio Network Football. Coming off a win versus Pitt, 26-19, so they finished the season 6-6. Six and six. But the big news, head coach Steve Adazio fired on Sunday, day after the game. They go 6-6, six and six. Um, and we go from here. First, before I get into Scott, I'd like to remind everybody, uh, if you're a BC football fan, you got to join the BC Football Gridiron Club. bcfootballgridiron.com to sign up and get more details. Of course, they'll have a bowl uh, party the night day before the game. They're probably a tailgate of the morning of the game. I was there last year in Dallas. Great party. Uh, so I'm sure once we announce the bowl game, uh, the BC Gridiron Club will have a good party. So you got to check it out. Uh, exciting time in that regard. So we welcome in Scott Mutrin. First of all, Scott, thanks so much for joining us here and all season, really, as we wrap up another season. Just your general thoughts first on the game. BC wins a nice win on the road. Heinz Field uh, versus Pittsburgh, 26-19. to Yeah, it was a good win for the Eagles and a, a way to uh, end uh, their regular season, I thought. Uh, you got the defense really came alive with four turnovers. They, that really started the that really started everything, I guess. When you looked at it, that they're able to score off the first, you know, three turnovers, and when you do that, it was kind of reminiscent of the Virginia Tech game. Uh, you know, Virginia Tech moved the football; they scored a little more, their offense is a little more dynamic, but they had big turnovers and big moments, and BC was able to capitalize on those. And the defense, I, I think, you really noticed the the one big thing you noticed was I, Isaiah McDuffie. I, just having his presence out there, he's such a good player. He had 12 and a half tackles, two and a half tackles for loss, two sacks, and he was just all over the place. And it's crazy how one guy can just make such a big difference on the field when he's out there and helps, you know, raise the the level of everyone's game. And, and Isaiah was a difference maker. He was everywhere uh, against it and. He deserves a lot of credit, and, you know, Tanner Carafa, what a great way for a captain to get two fumble recoveries. I think he had a tackle for loss and a sack. Uh, what a great game. You love seeing the senior guys kind of in their last game get that big moment. But uh, I think the biggest moment belonged to the to the best player and uh, probably ma- maybe a Mount Rushmore guy at Boston College is A.J. Dillon. The last drive of the game, I think, really encapsulated everything that A.J. Dillon, you know, did in his career. Everyone knew he was getting the football, and he was able to just, you know, he just hammered out a couple of these runs where Pitt knew he was coming, and he carried guys left and right. And it's something that, unless you're right on the field, it's tough to appreciate to watch how strong and his will to to carry that team to victory is. That, I'm guessing that's the last time we will see A.J. Dillon in a BC uniform. And if that's it, that's, that's a great memory. Because not only did he have that 61-yard touchdown, which was a great show of his speed, but just the toughness and his ability to run. 
you know, in between the tackles and get those tough yardage uh, yards when his team needed them. It was just, it was heroic to see uh, how he performed. It was, uh, it was impressive, so impressive. I, I, I can't put enough superlatives on how, how astonished and just impressed I was by his, his effort level and his willingness to take that team and put it on his back and say, I'll, you know, I'm going to bring us home, boys. Just follow me. And it was, it was impressive. Yep, no question about it. I agree with you. I think he's done. Uh, so three years at BC, obviously all-time leading rusher. Uh, you know, very good, I, as you said. But back of your mind, you're wanting cheese. You, you think they could have won a little more with those three years with him. And I think that's kind of what led in a way to the firing. But first, before we get to that, like also like to get your uh, Grossel, uh, Dennis Grossell thoughts. Nine for 19, 123 yards. Just kind of get your thoughts about uh, really that game and just how he came in for Anthony Brown this second half of the season. Um, you know, it's unfortunate you lose Anthony Brown in, in that Louisville game and, and then you have to have Dennis Grossell come back in. I thought Dennis grew as the game went on. He had a nice touchdown pass to Hunter Long and he, he battled uh, this week against Pitt. I think what you notice most of all is he didn't stay in the pocket and hold on to the ball too long like he did versus Notre Dame. Those sacks I thought in the Notre Dame game were a little on him and him holding the ball too long. He did a good job of being decisive. Uh, he moved through his progressions, and when they weren't there, he ran the football. And he's a very um, effective runner. He's tough to bring down. He's physical. Um, he did a really good job in the in the quarterback draw game, and I think that really, when you're able to do that, it really adds another dynamic to the offense. And then he hit, you know, Hunter Long on the touchdown pass, which is a nice nice throw. He missed missed one uh, to Cora Badrizi earlier in the game, which resulted in a field goal. But uh, he he bounced. You know, bounced back and did did a good job and, and and managed the game and competed there. And you saw Anthony on the sidelines cheering him on. It's you know you, you got to get him healthy for next year and, and maybe that time watching Dennis run the the offense is something that you know he could use as a valuable lesson. So the Eagles finished six and six. Uh, obviously, very happy in the locker room. You saw the locker room celebrations on Twitter. What just your take? What was it like post game and traveling home with the team? And that will lead us into what happened on Sunday. Well, you could see the emotions of the game, I think, for everybody. I think, you know, seeing a couple of coaches coming off, there was that satisfaction look, especially the way in which they won it. It was a, you know, a BC game through and through. They ran the football uh, successfully versus a defense that everyone had said was a very, very good defense. You know, Pitt, Pitt is a top 10 defense in a lot of statistical categories throughout the uh, the country. So, BC converted on third down to uh, Pitt. I don't know if they had any sack. They may have had one sack, but Pitt, Pitt leads the country in sacks. And, you know, they are a ninth-ranked rushing defense. So the, the ability to play their style and impose their will is a satisfaction that you could see in the faces of the coaches as they came off the field. I mean, uh, Frank Leonard was had some tears in his eyes. Brian White was just so thrilled with A.J. Dillon's performance and just just he, I think he understood and was just for maybe saying it for the other people that, that, that didn't really know or appreciate how impressive that was, how awesome AJ was, and he really was. So uh, you can see the emotions and, and the way home there's that satisfaction, especially when you get a win, you get to spend more time together because your time is fleeting when you play college football. You, you know, you're on such a schedule, you're such a schedule, and then all of a sudden it ends. And then all of a sudden you're a senior and you're done. And then you're like, your whole career, if you don't go to play in the NFL, it's just, it ends just like that. The finality of it is very, 
very tough to deal with and it's, it's very difficult and it's, it's very emotional. So there's, there's a lot of things going on that field Saturday and, and on the plane ride home. And it's just you get to spend more time together with your buddies that, be bro- that basically are your brothers for life. It's, some, it's a joy that, that few people get to experience. And when you get that, you enjoy it and you hold on to it for as long as you can. And then that's a great segue for the next question because on Sunday, time, you talked about time. Time ran out uh, for Steve Adazio as he was fired. I don't know if it happened in the morning or the afternoon, uh, but he was fired 44 and 44 at BC, 500. And we'll get your thoughts. In, 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 I have a mixed bag. I followed Coach Adazio since Cheshire High School, Connecticut. Uh, he still ho- holds the record for most consecutive wins 49 wins there, three state titles. Uh, and then I, you know, progressed from Syracuse, Notre Dame, Florida, I think Indiana as well. And he came in BC and he took over a program that was uh, in much worse shape than it is now. We sometimes, I think I forget, I don't know about you, but that Frank Spaziani years as head coach were a lot worse than now. Uh, so the program recruiting's uptick. And I, I don't know about you, Scott, but I feel like we're now we made the decision, BC did, I should say, um, we're in a very critical fork in the road. Because a wrong hire, it can go a lot worse than it is now. Obviously, a good hire, you go a lot better. And that's basically what they are. At six and six, five hundred. Um, I think you got to give Adazio credit. He, he uh, elevated the program. Uh, but right now, we're at a fork in the road. And, and I saw that BC uh, in the press conference Monday. They want to be in the top twenty-five, and that's the goal. I think that's great. But, geez, you know, I, I want to challenge Clemson. I don't know about you. I think they've won the division too many times. Uh, my three, my four years, we were 3-0 versus Clemson, the Matt Ryan era. And, you know, I'm, I'm sick of them playing this weekend for the AC championship game. So I, I was kind of hoping that would be the goal, win the ACC every year. Uh, and I hope the new coach has that goal. So, But, first of all, let me just get your thoughts on Adazio's firing, his career, and where BC goes from here. Well, in the end, the, the record kind of speaks for itself, and it's, you know, he was 44 and 44 and 500, and I think um, I think he started out and, and, and outkicked his coverage and really exceeded expectations for what the job really entailed. Um, and I think because of that, it shortened some people's, uh, it shortened the people's rebuild uh, vision in their head. And when it came... Uh, 2015 in his third year, and they and they had you know two what is it two and ten or three and nine seasons. Three and nine, yeah. Right. I think that everybody kind of became aware of of where exactly the program was when he picked it up, and and he did a great job of, of restocking and getting back into the to the schools and to the places where Boston College is successful. The players that he's brought you know brought in from the you know, from the New Jersey area, the guys that the from perennial schools that that you know Catholic schools that kids are impact players at BC. He did a good job of that. He did a good job of developing some of these guys. And you look at the guys that went on and played in the pros. They they weren't all you know five star recruits. These are guys that came to BC and improved and got better. And he, he also proved that he's a very good uh, judge of of coaching talent. I mean, as based by you know having Ryan Day. Uh, Don Brown, Al Washington. Uh, you look at Anthony Campanelli. All these guys that he brought in are all now have moved on to, to big jobs and are very successful. And that's a you know kudos to him. Even you know Pasqualoni, although he's in the NFL and they had a record before, but 
he brought in coaches that were, you know, did a good job. Justin Fry, another one who's an offensive coordinator at UCLA now, he's brought guys in that are talented and have developed players and, and gotten better. And he mentioned in this press conference that part of coaching is, is teaching and you teach and you mold kids. And I, I thought he did a good job of that. But I think some of the issues in is that they just didn't win enough. And, and some of the ways in which they, they lost, I think, frustrated a lot of the fan base, a lot of the alums. And I think that ultimately led to, to there being a change. I felt that uh, people felt that with the talent, all these guys going to the NFL in some of these games, that BC should have been better. And I think last year with that talent um, and everyone kind of coming back on that defense, they, they had higher expectations. And, and that kind of really started this whole thing and, and going in that direction. And their inability to, to move past the 500 mark uh, in his tenure there, ultimately led to his downfall. Yeah, you know, he had injuries. Obviously, that bowl game was rained out, uh, lightning, so that was a chance for an eighth win. But you're right. I think. Let me ask you a question. If you were Martin, would you have let Adazio go one more year, or do you think the time was right? He made the right call and get rid of him. Well, whomever comes into Boston College next year is inheriting an absolutely stacked team because you're really, I think, only losing three guys from the two deep. Uh, excuse me, from the from the offensive side and the defensive side. You'll lose John Phillips um, and uh, Jake Bird and Chris Garrison uh, on the tight end side, but you'll have all your, your uh, Benny lines, so you lose those guys, so three or four guys, but there are other wide receivers that were rotating in, and, the, and you, you lose some of the offensive line, but there are other tight ends. Hunter Long really emerged. Ray Martin will be back healthy next year. Um, so the offensive side of the ball is going to be loaded, and then you got the defensive side that you haven't lost anybody. Uh, you're you're basically you have the ability to bring everybody back on that side of the ball. You lose Richard Yergin, um, who came in as a grad transfer, but everybody else has gained experience, has another year of it, will be back, and you're getting a lot of players that have played meaningful snaps for Boston College this year. So. I think whoever, whatever coach comes in, they're gonna they're gonna be able to reap the benefits of what Steve Adazio brought in, and and I I, I think that's gonna be is a, a, a selling point. And the, the you know that from what I've heard from people out there, it's it's a coveted job. There's some pretty big names that are names are thrown out there as all on social media and stuff. I'm, I'm sure you've seen them. There are a lot of candidates that are from you know big programs with good resumes that want this job. So. BC is a top 25 job. There's no reason Boston College can't be in the top 25 and win seven to you know ten games every year, and every so often make a run to to compete against the likes of Clemson and stuff like that, and and close the gap. And I think you see talent-wise, BC was was in the mix, and they just weren't able to finish some games off and and games that they're probably a better team, whether it's you know whether it was just not being able to execute in that or having some physical errors, but. The talent level is there to compete. BC just didn't didn't do it enough to to save Steve Adazio's job. And in terms of new, who's going to be the new coach? I've been asked that a lot myself. I'm sure you have. the The, the honest answer is really nobody knows. BC's pretty tight with letting information get out. Uh, they're going to do interviews next couple of weeks. I just hope. You know, I'd like to get your thoughts, Scotty. You know, you hear Al Washington thrown out. Uh, Don Brown, yes, they've always, they've been here the BC family, but I just think. You really need to think nationally and get a whole perspective and interview 
a lot of people from outside the BC family, and to give that plenty of thought as well. This is such an important decision, such a fork in the road time, as I think you are, where you can go either way with the program. So just to get your thoughts, what do you think what, what your, the perspective is uh, for the right coach? Chestnut Hill Technologies is a leading technology integration and cybersecurity consulting firm based in the Boston area and owned by BC alum. CHT provides world-class strategy and consulting to Fortune 500 and mid-cap firms throughout New England and nationally, including State Street Bank, Amaj Pharma, and Intel Corporation. Check them out at chestnuthilltechnologies.com. That's chestnuthilltechnologies.com. Well, it, it's going to be interesting to see, and, and obviously it should be a national search, but as you see people come and go and the firings that have already happened and the movements that are being made, um, you, you kind of get an idea of the type of person that you want or need to, to run the program. And although you want a national search, you don't want to get somebody that's not familiar, at least with the recruiting hotbeds of, of what BC needs to have and the type of players that BC gets into the school. Because if you get someone from the wrong spot, they're not going to be able to get maybe the players that allowed them to be successful at their former schools. Or they're just not familiar with the schools in which they need to get into now to get the players that BC has in there continuously. And I think that needs to be uh, addressed. I think you need to have someone that has strong Northeast ties, whether it's uh, New Jersey, Massachusetts, Ohio, Pennsylvania area. You need someone that has done a good job in that area. Uh, you know, now that Greg Schiano's got the Rutgers job, it's not going to be as easy to get, you know, New Jersey guys anymore. Greg Schiano's going to do his best to try to, you know, keep those guys home and to, to keep them from leaving the state. So you're going to need to compete there. You're going to need to have some presence in, in where you, you get the majority of your players. But you also need to be able to get some of those guys from from down south and be able to establish some presence there as well. So I think that's what BC really needs to look for. And then someone that's, I don't know if you're looking for an offensive guy or a defensive guy, but you need someone that's going to be able to, to bring in a, a diverse offense that is going to be able to, to run and throw the football. And I think the biggest thing that probably led to, to Steve's downfall in the coming, coming back, um, you know, not coming back, was their lack of ability to really have a dynamic quarterback. Uh, you really see some of the teams, the teams that have had runs lately, uh, even at schools like Syracuse, for example, last year they have a great run. Eric Dungy was a guy like that. You know, Ryan Finley at NC State to keep it all in, you know, in the conference. And when you have great quarterback play and you develop quarterbacks, it really helps the overall team as well. And, and when Steve uh, Dazio's inability to really find one of those guys, I think, hurt him because they're just – Anthony Brown's done well, but he's just not the difference maker that you see throughout the ACC. I mean, Trevor Lawrence is different, you know, as well, but you just – there just wasn't that level of quarterback play that, that I think BC is accustomed to seeing with, you know, you go from Glenn Foley to Matt Hasselbeck, Mark Hartzell, uh, Matt Ryan, Chris Crane – you know, they'll go down the list of guys that were great quarterbacks that competed there. Brian St. Pierre, Tim Hasselbeck. Like, these guys were all guys that played in the NFL that were difference makers and that had the ability to make plays. And 
you know, when you when you lose that and you don't have that dynamic guy back there, it really puts a lot of pressure on all the other groups to, to be successful. And I, I really think you're going to want somebody that can bring in that type of quarterback, that BC quarterback that can come in and be a difference maker. Give some love to Scott Butrin as well, right, in that lineage. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I didn't play in the NFL. I was mentioning all the guys that did play in the NFL. There you go. So, uh, yeah, I, I was not good enough. Thank you very much. But, uh, you know, that that's what you need. And it'll it'll be interesting to see uh, which direction that, that BC goes and, and what they want to do. I, I, they're going to obviously have, you know, a high-character coach that values, you know, the, the Jesuit education the the academic requirements of it i think the coach is going to have you know in these uh, the ability to bring these players in and develop you you want someone that is not just used to winning with five-star recruits because that's not going to happen you need someone that can mold and develop talents and make them better from the moment they get into the moment that they leave and and someone that that values that and if you get that then it really helps to to make the chance the the transition seamless and, but you're 100% right in, when you said earlier that, you know, a bad hire could set them back. And it's true because if you get the wrong person in there and, and they try to recruit people that don't, you know, don't fit into BC or, or it doesn't work, you can, it can get, it's a slippery slope and it can go downhill pretty quickly. So it, it all depends on, on what they, you know, what values they they find if they want an offensive guy or a defensive guy and, and to see who, who could be successful in Boston College while not sacrificing or diminishing what what the type of players coming in coming in the door and what the school stands for? Yeah, I hope fans just realize what you know from Jagodzinski, O'Brien Jagodzinski, excuse me, and then uh, Spaziani. That downfall fell happened very very quickly. So I just hope fans realize it can be a lot worse than what we have right now. But uh, Scott, yeah, and you understand it, but you understand the, the frustration when you see the talent level that was there, and, and when you see guys from Boston College that are playing in the NFL and being successful. Yeah. Um, fans, the, fans have the right to, to feel and say what they want, and alums do, and the guys that play do as well. And if they, you know, expect more and have higher expectations, that's that is their prerogative, and, and they they're entitled to that. And they should want more. They should want that more. But to think that BC should be happy with just being kind of, you know, in the bottom of the ACC or a 500 team every year, I don't think those are proper expectations. I think nationally people have a, a, a skewed view of what Boston College is. Boston College, you know, can be a perennial top 25 program. Tom O'Brien proved that. Um, you know, Tom Coughlin proved that in there. Jack McNeil did as well. So, now, is it going to be 10-win seasons all the time? No, but that doesn't mean that you can't be winning, you know, eight games a year, especially in the way in the schedules are today. I mean, when you, when you look at the schedules, like when I was playing, it was 11 games a season. So right then you're already, you know, eight yep. wins is a lot. It's a different, different beast. And then you look at the yep. – you're out of conference games. I mean, in 1995, we played Ohio State – Virginia Tech, Michigan, and Michigan State in the first four weeks of the season. Like, you don't see that anymore, right? Yeah, you don't yeah. see that. So it's like, yeah, and, and those teams, that 95 team competed versus those teams and did well. Now, they only won four games that year, but look who they played and look at the talent of the schools they played. And I think the, the fans want that. They want the success. 
And if they're going to win six or seven games when there's, you know, inferior talent on the schedule, that's frustrating to them. They, they'll be okay if you're winning six games if you're playing Michigan every year or Notre Dame every year or, you know, like Florida every year, you know, a big-time other school. But when, when you're playing, you know, and no offense to these other schools, whether it's Holy Cross or, or Maine or, or, or that, the fans, are, the fans have a right to, to want more. They should want more wins than that because when you look and you have three to four built-in wins a year, you should expect or want more from that and, and, and after that. And they, they should be able to deliver, I believe. Yeah, and then take that. When you lose those games, like a Kansas at home, that even drives right. it home even crazier. But, Scott, I was thinking right. about what to ask you this afternoon. And we don't often think about it, but you were a player. What do you think the seniors and like maybe even the junior upperclassmen players are thinking right now during this coaching transition in the bowl game? What's going through their mind as a, from a player's perspective? Well, I mean, it's tough. Rich Canella has a tough job ahead of him to try to keep everyone together. But the seniors, for the seniors, it's that one last chance to play together as a team and and enjoy your buddies for one one last time. For for the underclassmen, it's that opportunity to improve and, and to work on their game and, and get better and and compete together for the seniors and for their teammates. Uh, you're, it's a different team every year. So there's different guys. So this is your only chance to play with this group of guys that you get. And this is your last chance to do that. So that's, that's really special for these guys. I think you see a lot of development from some of the younger guys in this time period, because in these 15 practices, they're able to get some more reps. They got a full season under their belt and they're able to, to really just start to play. Now, obviously you're going to probably have issues where do guys want to leave or guys, you know, do guys, you know, not want to buy in. Do they, are they really excited about the bowl game? And when you don't know where you're playing yet, it's kind of tough as well. So it, it, it's, it's tough, but it's an opportunity to be together as a team. And once you, you know, once you've been a part of that and you're on a team, there's, there's something really special about it. And that time that you get to spend with guys and, and just share the moments that you'll remember for the rest of your life. And, and, you know, you're worrying about the future and who's coming in, but you got to just focus on you and getting better and enjoying this last time together and competing um, with your teammates that one last time. Yeah, you know, I remember back to my undergrad days, Tom O'Brien left, and actually Frank Spaziani coached that one bowl game against Navy. They won, I believe, in overtime. It was a close game. And then, of course, Jack Zinsky came in, and you know Frank ended right. up staying on the staff. But, uh, yeah, it was that kind of that awkward time period. Right, and it's, it's very emotional. It's an emotional time. For some guys, it's the last time they'll ever put a football uniform on. That's a... Uh, an ending of something that they've done for their entire childhood and now it's gone so yeah it's emotional and i'm sure knowing the character and the guys that are in that locker room these guys are gonna they're gonna band together they're gonna compete that one last time and they're 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 gonna want to go out on a positive note they're not just gonna roll over and and lay down that's not the type of guy steve adazio recruited that's not the type of guys that are in that program it's just not in their makeup they're guys that have been told they're either not big strong or fast enough to play at other schools they came to Boston College, and they got a chance to compete, uh, play, uh, get a great education, meet some great guys and, and friends that they'll have for a lifetime and with a, you know, a valuable degree that will come with them as well. And those things matter. And that brotherhood is something that no one can ever take away from you. So th- that's the type of guys that are there now. I don't expect anything but that from them. I think you're going to see a great effort from them, and I think you're going to see a team that goes out and loves each other and competes for each other. 
We got to get Scott Mutrin on the recruiting trail, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that. It's, it's, uh, I don't know if I'm your the recruiting guy. It's, uh, I get enough. I get enough grief from everybody else, of all my uh, friends and former teammates, that just from being on the radio. So if I was coaching or doing any of that stuff, I imagine they'd be even worse. So I, I don't know if I'm really up for that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Scott. Well, last minute here. Last question for me. What do you in your interactions with Steven Dazzi? Do you have a favorite moment? Maybe from the sideline reporting, the interviews, halftime. Is there a moment that sticks out with you? I mean, even off the field of uh, Steve Adazio. Um, you know, it's, I haven't really thought about it. It's, it's to, to, to those that don't know, it's, it's an extremely delicate situation when you're trying to interview and talk to a coach at halftime or the end of the game, because it can be very emotional win or lose. So you want to ask the right questions, but there's also a time and a place for doing it. So it's not a time to get the gotcha questions in and to try to, you know, fire coach up or any of those moments. Um, it, it's a time that you, you really got to give the coach an opportunity to, to give, you know, his opinion and feelings on things without really, I don't want to say upsetting things, but without the emotions of the game getting into the into things. So um, I've had some good ones with him. I think after the, the Red Bandana game that, uh, you know, that BC won last year was a special moment. You get to see uh, – you get to see and feel those moments that when you get a big win on the national television, that that that's a big, that's a big moment. Uh, that that was special with with the fans and and everything and how much that game means. And when you see the the, the joy and and the satisfaction of, of coming through in, in one of those moments, and especially on that day, that's really a Boston College day. I think that that last game last year, getting to talk to him and that you could just see how how much it meant to him, and you get the the raw emotion of it and sports bring out that in everyone you uh there's no you know movies are scripted and there's very few times where you get that feeling where you're brought to such emotions whether it's tears or excitement that you get genuine you know just genuineness from people and when that happens it's a special moment because that reaction is so pure and and unrehearsed it's just it's human and when you get to share those moments, those human moments, um, they're great. And there's nothing like it because it just you, you put down the walls and, and you're just able to, to let that come out. And, and I think that was, you know, that was that was a great one. And to tell you the truth, this, this last week's game was pretty special. Um, just, you know, talking to him that last time and just you could see it, the satisfaction that he had. I don't know if he knew or not, but he was really happy. He was happy for the team and genuinely happy for his players. So um, I would say those are my top two that I have. Okay, yeah. Well, hey, well said. You know, you you had a lot of moments with him uh, at high-stress times, as you mentioned, halftime, uh, uh, post-game. Yeah, and I, I always go into that situation knowing with the sensitivity of knowing I try to put myself in those shoes going, if I was coming off the field at this moment, what's the, what do I want to be asked and what's the last thing I want to be asked? And I guess I try to keep it that way because, some, you know, you, you just try to, to try to just do what's best in, in that moment. But it's, it's, it's a tough thing to do. It's not as easy as it, it may seem because uh, it, it can be very, very sensitive just because of the emotions of the time and when you're getting, getting them. 
Well, hey, Scott, well, with my last question here, how was the food scene, Pittsburgh, on the travel, uh, on the way home, how, or the, during your time there? Um, so it was pretty It was pretty interesting. We were uh, Paul Cristioni, as we discussed, Gus, the uh, fearless leader of the Gridiron Club. Gridiron Club, yeah. Sat, Great he, guy. He brought, yeah, I brought. He wanted to go out to a nice dinner, and being the day after Thanksgiving, a lot of people were stuffed. We ended up going uh to Redbeards, which was a it was kind of bar food so we got some wings which are amazing we got some pierogies which are a nice midwest staple for uh for all you people who aren't familiar with that we got <laughs> some of those um and we got some burgers and just kind of hung out we had some great great conversation we actually had a couple twitter moments where pete and i were diagramming some plays with the uh, salt shakers and stuff so it was actually a really fun dinner with a good group of guys there you go. Hey, well, hey, congratulations, Scott. Good season. The six uh, for you guys. You guys were twelve and all in my book. How about that? <laughs> I appreciate it. It's always good to be on the win column. Thanks, Mike. All right, Scott. Thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll touch up before the uh, bowl game. Catch up. Sounds, sounds great. Thanks, Mike. Chestnut Hill Technologies is a leading technology integration and cybersecurity consulting firm, based in the Boston area and owned by BC alum. CHT provides world-class strategy and consulting to Fortune 500 and mid-cap firms throughout New England and nationally, including State Street Bank, Amaj Pharma, and Intel Corporation. Check them out at chestnuthilltechnologies.com. That's chestnuthilltechnologies.com.